Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Father, we ask you to open our ears and eyes. We ask you to show us Jesus, that as we follow him now, as we listen to him, that he would disciple us. There's 2,000 years between us and, 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 and what this event, but Lord, we would follow as surely as, as James and John and Thomas. We would walk right behind our master, and listen to him, and let him teach us, and train us that we might serve, uh, Lord, serve you well. Come, Holy Spirit, open our ears, op- soften our hearts, grant us faith, and gra- grant me the grace to let you, Jesus, speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to John chapter 11. You might take out your, um, take out your, your you've got your uh, study guide there. Look at the questions. I wanted to look at two of them. This will give you a sense of what we're going to see today. Question number one. Let's suppose someone who believed in Jesus dies, and you have to explain to a child where that person is right now. What would you say? Do you have an answer for that? If you have a child and, 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 and someone just died, maybe someone in the family, and you're trying to explain where grandma or grandpa or great-grandma is gone, what would you say to them? Do you, do you know? And look at number th- the question number three. Describe step-by-step step what you think will happen to you if you die. Can you point to any scriptures that support what you believe? How does that change the way you, and there I think this should be a word, think, on the end of it. All right. Here we go. We saw Jesus dealing with the idea of going to a dangerous place. He was going to take his disciples there to Bethany. Bethany is two miles to the east, just over the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. It's a prominent family, and those at the, at the funeral service will be some of the top religious leaders. Some of the very people who may have been part of that group that tried to attack him and try him and stone him. They may be at the funeral. And so the disciples are thinking, let's not go. Why don't you pray from here? There's no distance in prayer, you know. And uh, he says, no, we're, we're going. And he says, I'm being led by the Father. If you recall, we talked about dangerous places last time. We, 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 I'm being led by the Father. So uh, I'm in the sunlight. We will not stumble. We're going to go to Bethany. We'll be fine. Uh, Thomas uh, didn't believe a word of it, but he did love the Lord, and he said, let's go and die with him. And uh, <laughs> any Thomases, uh, me too. Um, so he's, he, he now is going to go, he's going up to Bethany. It's about 18 miles from the, from the Jordan River there. And he, he just gets outside of town, not even into the village yet. It's an unwalled village just right on the, on the road. It was just before Jerusalem, and, and he gets outside of town, and the word comes to Mary and Martha. Actually, it just comes to Martha. 
who are there in their uh, living room, probably, uh, mourning with people uh, that Jesus is coming. Martha, I think, sneaks out. She, she goes out quickly because she wants to warn him. She, he has a, a very dangerous environment uh, that, that the, these people are here. Uh, and she, so she comes out and she meets him outside of town. And that's where we pick up. John 11, I'll start at verse 17. When Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had, and remember the word Jews there means religious leaders, not Jewish people in general. Many of the religious leaders had come to Mary, Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Good answer, but not what he was talking about. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die Do you believe this? Uh, Verse 25 and 26, the Lord's words, would you read them out loud with me? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ. That means the Messiah, the promised son of David, the son of God, the one who will come and rule the world. And he who comes into the world, meaning the second Moses, who will restore the hearts of people back to God. You express yourself through your body. You are influenced by your body. You even have to take care of your body, but your existence is rooted in another dimension altogether. Do you follow this? That's because God made you in his image and he doesn't have a body. He is spirit. When he created Adam and Eve, he created rational, volitional, that means you got a will, conscious beings who can know him, obey him, love him, and communicate with him person to person. He gave us a body and said it was good and intends us to have one forever. But you are not your body. No human is. Once conceived, We are eternal spirits, rational, volitional, conscious beings. Look, when 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 right now you're living in a society that that doesn't recognize the fact that you're a spiritual being. So everything in their mind, when they try to deal with your depression or your your issues, uh, they're trying to to, to deal with you like like a, a very smart animal. They're, they're trying to uh, use, they use chemistry, they, they use whatever to try to uh, fix this uh, machine as though everything is going on in the machine right here. You know, it, it's, it's, it's your bioelectrical, your synapses are firing off or not firing off properly. And so everything is mechanical in the way they try to deal with people, assuming that there's not a spirit there. But that's a terrible mistake. Not only are you spirit, but some of the stuff you're dealing with is spiritual. 
and no chemistry, no biology is going to fix that. You understand? It's a this is a really important worldview. It's a way, it's, this is how the Bible sees humanity. It sees the, how the Bible sees all these issues. Jesus sees the world very spiritually, very spiritually. So there's, there's, yes, there's the human level. Yes, we have a body. All of those are part of the thing. But you are not your body. You live in your body. You've been given a body. You've got to take care of that thing. But you aren't the body. I admit it can be difficult to remember this when someone dies. Their body looks dead, but that's because the person isn't there anymore. He or she has gone somewhere else. That body was just the clothing they once wore, and someday God will give them a new one. If, perchance, you have been nearby when someone died. If you watched them while they were still alive, and then you watched them after they were dead. It's remarkable. Same body. You don't even know what, it is, what is it that I'm seeing, but something's really different. My mother just passed away, I've, but I, I've seen this before. I, I've, I've been there as someone dies. There they are. You know they're there. Even in a coma, maybe they're not communicating anything else, but you can tell they're there. And then in a, like that, they're not. They're simply not there anymore. It's just now a body. You, how many have seen such a thing? You know what I'm talking Look at that. You know. Yeah. It's, it, the, there is a person... A spirit involved. Without this perspective, nothing in the Bible makes sense. The ideas we read there are based on the understanding that this season of time on this planet is only a testing ground so people can decide for or against God. And based on those decisions, they will spend the next season, which lasts forever, either with him or separated from him. And as we watch and listen... To Jesus, it is quite evident that he was constantly seeing both these dimensions, the physical and the spiritual. To him, the line between life and death was very thin. In no way did he think a human being ceased to exist when their body died. He spoke of people who died as simply stepping into another level of existence and knew that it was possible to give the right, given the right circumstances for someone to return to their body. And what made that possible was him. Wherever he was, that could happen. Because life radiated from him like light shines from the sun. So in his presence, dead things could come back to life. And he could give that gift of life to whomever he chose. Now that quality I just described, that, and, and John says it in, in uh, the first chapter, verse 4, where he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Say, say that with me. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. You just do not say that about anybody. Uh, I mean, we have Christ in us, so we have life in us. But to say that life was in Christ is to say he is divine. That is a God quality. That is not anything else. So it says, in, in, in him was life. And, and you recall, he's, he has said, all things were created through him. And apart from him, nothing that has been created 
came into being is the way he uses it. Nothing that came into being has come into being. Apart from Jesus, nothing in the creation has come into being. Isn't that stunning? I mean, that is what it says. That is exactly what it means. That the father says, I want a universe. And so his son carried out his father's wishes. Do you follow? This is the relationship the Gospel of John shows us quite clearly. Jesus Christ being the divine Son of God. So when he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's not just saying something friendly. He's saying, I'm the one that will raise them up then. I can do it now. Shall we do it now, Martha? I mean, that's, <laughs> I can do this. Yeah, what he's saying. Standing on the outskirts of a little village called Bethany, Jesus tried to explain this truth to a grieving woman. But on that day, the father had given him the assignment to do more than simply use words. His assignment was to demonstrate his power over death, to show her what he is going to do for her and for all of us someday. He not only told her that he is the resurrection and the life, he proved it. Let's re-see this uh, passage. The body would have been, first of all, I want you to see how dead Lazarus was. I mean, he was really dead, 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 dead. I mean, this is dead. It, it makes a difference. The body would have been washed and then covered with myrrh. That's a fragrant sap from a tree that grows in Arabia and Africa. And aloes, uh, crushed leaves and juice from a desert succulent that has the healing qualities, healing qualities for the skin. Do you all know aloes? Yeah, we've, I, in fact, for years, we'd grow a pot in the house. Uh, that stuff, that, if you have sunburn or something, try that. I mean, it's really quite the deal. So they'd crush this stuff up, and, and they'd pack it in there around the, this, the body. Other spices, such as myrtle and hyssop, may have been added. And then the body was wrapped with long, bandage-like strips of cloth, with spices being added into the folds of the cloth. A special cloth was tied over the face. So you're taking Lazarus and you're packing this aloes goo and the myrrh in there around, all around him. You've washed him, you've packed it in, and then you wind these thin linen strips all around his legs and all around his torso, all around his arms, so you, and then packing spices in as you go. So he's just, and he's, a, he's just, um, he's not mummified. They didn't do anything to his, you know, internal organs or any of that stuff. But he's, he's packed in there. John mentions that Lazarus was buried in a tomb. The word uh, literally means a memorial. And later we, he mentions that Lazarus was, uh, this, we discover this was a cave. This indicates that the family was wealthy and could afford to purchase the land where the cave was located and have the shelves and niches carved into its walls. The poor, the poor buried their dead in the ground about six feet deep. Bethany was a small, unwalled village situated on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives, about two miles from Jerusalem. The road connecting Jerusalem to the region around the Jordan River passed through it. So every time Jesus comes into town, he goes right through Bethany. And he would stop there. The disciples would stop for lunch or whatever and, and fellowship. They, this family's uh, uh, they're friends. They love them and they're disciples. And by the time Jesus arrived, the grieving ceremonies for Lazarus were well underway. The first three days after a person died were the most intense. Weeping would take place. Uh, by the way, they would also take 
and turn the furniture upside down in the, in the house. So everything's down. You don't sit on anything. You sit on the floor. Uh, you you would, would have um, ripped your clothing, you know, from the top down a certain distance and all. So you've got torn clothing. Uh, you don't wash. Uh, you don't do any of that. And you, uh, all of this, this, this mourning is going on. Uh, by the way, you, you might have heard people say, they said, the longer I study the Bible, the more amazed I am at some of the really, really dumb things that were told me. And, and one is that, uh, you know, well, the, the Old Testament doesn't have much of an afterlife in it. I mean, it, they don't really, they, they didn't believe in an afterlife. That came like, my foot, they didn't. It's, it's certain, for, for one thing, it's there, but it's there a lot. The Jews actually believed that the, the spirit uh, didn't entirely leave the body for about four days. So they have this mourning period uh, while they feel that the spirit is sort of hovering around watching. And so you need to really mourn well because grandpa's watching. So it's like, you know, oh, he was a wonderful man. You know what I mean? So they're, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're, that's how conscious they were of the, of the, of the idea of a spiritual life. By the time Jesus arrived, the grieving ceremonies were well underway. First three days uh, were weeping. The, the remainder of the first week was less intense. Uh, those who were, who were mourning didn't wash, put on shoes, study, or engage in business, but some form of mourning continued for an entire month. That this family was highly respected can be seen from the fact that many religious leaders came out from Jerusalem to speak words of comfort to Martha and Mary concerning their brother. Their presence at the funeral was an honor, but it also made the sister's house a very dangerous place for Jesus. Some of those who came to mourn may have been members of the group who tried to seize him in the temple. When Martha heard that Jesus was approaching the village, she quickly went to intercept him before her guests could discover that he was there. Meanwhile, Mary remained in the house, possibly because she was overcome with grief, but possibly to keep the guests in place so Martha could sneak out undetected. You don't want those people following you out to Jesus. Martha said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's possible to interpret her words as a scolding, that she was asking why he had delayed. But if Lazarus died shortly after the sisters sent the messenger on his way, then this statement was expressing only disappointment. Yet with her next breath, she declared faith. She immediately added, and even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. She appears to be responding to his earlier reply to their plea for help. He had told the messenger, this sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That statement meant Lazarus won't die, and yet Lazarus had died. So she may have been expressing hope that it was still possible for a miracle to bring her brother back to life. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. To which she replied, I know he will rise again in the rising again. That's literally what it is. The resurrection in the last day. Her statement was a confession of promises found in the Bible, which say that the righteous will come back to life at the end of the age. For, for example, God told Daniel that those whose names are written in God's book, who, quote, sleep in the dust of the ground, will awaken to everlasting life. But at this point, Martha's words do not appear to include much hope that her brother's dead body could physically come back to life at that moment. Martha's confession was true. There will be a resurrection at the end of the age. 
But Jesus wanted her to understand that the raising of dead bodies and the giving of eternal life were not simply actions he would someday perform. They were the natural result of who he is. So he said, I am the resurrection, the rising again, and the life. By that statement, he was revealing to her the full meaning of what John wrote in the introduction to his gospel. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Those words mean that Jesus is divine and that life flows out from him. Therefore, life is present wherever he is present. So there was no need to wait for a future event to raise Lazarus. The one who will someday raise all humanity from their graves was standing in front of her. He would call forth the dead at that moment as surely as he will call them forth later on. Does that make sense? Verses 25, 26. To the statement that he is the resurrection and the life, he added, and the one who believes in me, even if he should die, he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will not die. And, it, and yours will say, we'll never die. But the literal language is simply into the age. Uh, I don't know why we've got in our head we have to translate into the age as, as never. Uh, you see it all the time. It's in the Old Testament too, by the way. The Old Testament phrase is the same thing, ad holam. Uh, but, we, but we do that. Look, the Bible thinks in terms of ages. You and I are living in an age on this planet, a certain age. This is the age of testing in which uh, children of Adam and Eve are deciding for or against God. All right? But this age comes to an end. And, it, and that isn't the end of everything. We don't all float off into space. There's another age coming. So he's saying you'll not die until you go, and, and then in the, and because there'll be no death in the next age. So he says, you're not going to die. You'll be, you'll be alive in this one. Do you, and he then asked her, do you believe this? Her, the first part of his statement is addressed to the person who believes in him, but then their body dies. That person is promised resurrection. Standing again is, the, is what the word means. Someday their spirit will be clothed with an incorruptible physical body. The second part of his statement is addressed to the one who believes in Jesus and is still alive. He or she has no reason to fear death. Their spirit, the real person, never ceases to exist, but simply steps into the presence of God. This is what I believe Jesus was saying to Martha. When you put your faith in me, you are joined to me spiritually so that the life that is in me gives life to you. For those whose bodies have died, their spirits remain fully awake, enjoying the presence of God. For those who are still physically alive, he was assuring us that we will never be separated from God. Our body may sleep for a season, but at an assigned moment in the future, we will be reclothed with a body that will never die or experience disease or suffer again. A simple way to say this is to be joined to Jesus is to be alive. Our bodies will be raised at a future event, but that's not the beginning of life. Everlasting life begins the moment we believe. The moment we are joined to the source of life. You understand? If Jesus is, the, in him is life, when you and I 
the Bible would picture when you and I put our faith in him, there is actually a, a, a spiritual union that takes place. We become joined to him. We become one flesh with him, if, if you want to say it, like a family. We become part of him, so the life in him flows into us. So we, are, we, don't, possess, we don't emit life. We have the, one, the living one in us. Do you follow? Yeah, and therefore, we're transformed by that life. It's like standing near a, near a stove. You warm up. Uh, or you, you, you were changed by his very presence with us. Resuscitating Lazarus. Lazarus had believed. So though his body was dead, he wasn't. He was fully alive in the presence of God. That's why he could hear Jesus' voice when he shouted his name. At that moment, he left where he was, returned to the body he had once lived in, struggled to stand up. You can imagine packed in all that goo and wrappings because it was still wrapped in strips of linen filled with myrrh and aloes. And then somehow he managed to stagger out through the opening of the cave into the midst of a gathered crowd. Can you imagine the shrieks? (laughs) I mean, you would have. The guy's been dead four days. He comes out and he's going to have to, he's crawling out of this thing somehow. Uh, this, 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 this opening in the cave, and here comes this, like a, like a nightmare, and he's just, you know, he can hardly move and all of this stuff. Uh, and, and so the, and the, and uh, I mean, this was, I, 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 wouldn't you give anything to be there, you know? Oh. When, when Lazarus died, he did not. Now, this is important to get a hold of because you hear, you hear, you hear silly things taught about this. Forgive me for using that word. But yeah. When Lazarus died, he didn't go into a coma-like sleep. He didn't wait in a dark place somewhere deep in the earth. He never lost consciousness and was quickly drawn into heaven. He was with God and with his believing loved ones who had died before he did. You become righteous before the Lord through repentance and trusting in his mercy, the true God's mercy to, give, to forgive your sins. In the Old Testament, they didn't know the name of Jesus, but they knew the promise. There are righteous, the righteous go back for thousands of years. Uh, Noah had the righteousness of faith, says Hebrews 11.7. You understand? So he's there with his believing family. He was given a spiritual body, which was recognizable. And he remained in that wonderful place until he heard Jesus shout. It was probably a rather sad moment when he was informed that he needed to go back, that God still had work for him to do there. He would have to go through the process of physically dying one more time, because this time his body was only being resuscitated. His old body would come back to life, not resurrected, put on a new incorruptible body. Can you imagine that moment? You got to go back. Oh, come on. My, my mother said to me, if I die, don't you bring me back. I don't want to do it twice. <laughs> Very practical woman. If I die, don't you bring me back. I don't want to do that twice. Lazarus had to do it twice. So he's dying, he's dying, he's thinking, hey, hey, I'm here, come on. Now, you got to go back. 
Does that mean I have to die again? Yes. No, what am I going to die of? None of your business. I know, you know. <laughs> got to go back and do it. Resurrection. You might think that going to heaven and receiving a spiritual body is good enough. But our destiny as children of God is far greater than that. These old bodies of ours are going to be redeemed from the power of death as certainly as our spirits have been rescued from eternal separation from God. Did you hear that? Yeah, your body is part of the deal. It's coming back too. Uh, as you sit there right now, we, you and I, our spirit is redeemed. Our spirit is joined to the Lord. Our spirit loves the Lord. But we still live in unredeemed bodies. These aren't finished yet. That's why they still have the impulses and the, and the, and the uh, addiction, all the junk you fight. You are dealing with an unredeemed body. Will it be redeemed? You better believe it will be redeemed at the resurrection. You, I don't know what the relationship is between the dust of this, this old one and the new one. But you get a new one that will now obey <laughs> the Lord, and there'll be none of the, none of the junk in, in a new one. But you've been designed by God, body, soul, and spirit. You will return to body, soul, and spirit. You will not be a disembodied spirit. You will be a resurrected human being. That's your destiny. May I add, on a resurrected earth. I'll get to that in a minute. These old bodies of ours are going to be redeemed from the power of death, as certainly as our spirits have been rescued from eternal separation from God. Remember, when God created the first humans with physical bodies, he said it was very good. Sin entered and damaged God's plan, but God always comes back to his original plan. Adam and Eve were supposed to eat from the tree of life and live forever. Yes, that part of the plan was interrupted, but it was just an interruption. Let me stop. Remember in the, in the garden, you have two trees, don't you, that are a particular note. What, one tree is? Tree of life. The other tree is? One tree they were forbidden to eat from. Which one? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was their option so they could obey. That was, their tr- that was so that they were not trapped into a very pleasant prison. They were, they were given the option of disobeying God or, or obeying him. God always has, has that at heart. And so that was, but could, were they forbidden to eat the tree of life? They were not. They were not. That's the crazy thing. God never intended us to die. That was never, he wanted obedience and eternal life. And here, so here you have Adam and Eve. Listen, when God designs something, when God intends something, it's perfect. So if, he, if, you, if you say, well, he'll have to come up with another plan, then it will be a corrupted plan. And God just doesn't do that. God comes back to his original plan. Now, he has to go there another route. He's very creative in how he can get back to what he originally intended. But his original intentions are what we will always come back to. So we were designed to be with him in bodies, in his presence, walking with him. Notice, by the way, you you sometimes wonder, I I think Adam and Eve were clothed with light, just as you will be. We'll get to that. Just as you will be. And only I think we're probably, I think we shine brighter now, given, given what's happened to us. 
But remember, they, they knew they were naked after they sinned. And you know, the joke is, how, how could you not? You know, They were clothed with light. What they meant was the light's gone. We're just cold, unclothed. We used to be surrounded with the Shekinah glory of God radiating from us. That's God's going to come back to that. In the new heaven and earth, which God will prepare for us, the tree of life will be there to remind us that God was able to rescue what we had lost and to announce that we will finally receive what he had always wanted to give us. In fact, John sees the new heaven and he, he sees this river of life and then he sees trees along the banks of it. The tree of life is what it is. The bearing 12 kinds of fruit. I mean, it's, 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 it's accentuated. The, the apostle Paul spoke a great deal about the resurrection of our bodies. He teaches that God's plan for us is not complete until our bodies have been resurrected. Listen, would you read Romans 8 with me? For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. You're not, you're not, you're not done yet. You, you, are, you, are not, this is, you have not arrived. You are saved. Uh, but you have not come into your, and men and women come into this sonship that we speak of, because we're joined to the son. You are not into your, your, your you're not a child, a full child of God yet, in, in the sense of what you will look like and how you will be. Uh, Paul says that awaits, what? The redemption of our, somebody say bodies. Uh, yeah, I th thank you. The redemption of our bodies. Notice he says all the whole creation groans. And then he put, throws in the word together. Together with who? Us. And then he says we, even we, having the first fruits of the Spirit within ourselves. Uh, we full of the Holy Spirit. We too, we Christians who are full of the Holy Spirit. We groan within ourselves. Don't we? Come on, you're one of them. You do any groaning? How do you like living on the planet? Good times, huh? All the sickness and the disease and, the, and for goodness sakes, the politics. And, and I mean, if you haven't grown, you, you, you're not looking out the window. It says not only do we groan, but the creation groans. The very planet is under a curse. The animals, everything is suffering, waiting for the day when this horrible season Horrible, yes, and wonderful. Horrible because it's under the curse. Yeah. Horrible because it's full of uh, the devil's got a hand uh, and, and, and there's disease and violence and all kinds of horrible things. But wonderful in that God is pulling children out of it by the ten, hundreds of thousands every day. You follow that? Yeah. Hundreds of thousands a day are saying yes to Jesus around this planet. This is a good thing. A terrible and a glorious season of harvest that we're living in right now. Second Corinthians uh, chapter five, listen to what Paul says here. For we know 
that if the earthly tent, which is our house, he's talking about our bodies, is torn down, uh, gets old and dies, we have a building, a new body, from God, a house not made with hands, meaning God gives it to us miraculously, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house, this present body we're in, we groan, there he says it again, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, our new body. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, we'll not be found naked. You see, the time between the resurrection and our death, we are in spiritual bodies, we are in the presence of the Lord, but Paul calls it being naked. We're, there's our spirit, but we're like, where's my body? Because we're meant to have a body. So, so as wonderful as it is to be in the Lord's presence, things aren't finished yet. I have to have my resurrection body. I have to be restored to full completeness. So put it found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we, are, we groan, being burdened because we do not want to be unclothed. Paul says even the thought of, being, of dying and, and, and being uh, the whole thing, he says, makes us groan, but to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. So we look forward to the day when God completes his work. Then Paul adds, while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Uh, meaning, while we're here on earth, we're not in heaven seeing Jesus face to face. Doesn't mean he isn't with us. Then this confidence in what will happen after he dies shines through. He says, we prefer to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Paul says, if I had a choice, I'd go. But he says, you need me. I got to stay. To those who doubted the reality of the resurrection, Paul even described the kind of flesh God will give those bodies. He said, all flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, and another flesh of birds, and another of fish. What he's talking about is substance. This this body that you and I have now is made out of a particular kind of flesh. But it's a flesh that dies. Uh, And he says, look it. You can look at fish. You can look at different kinds of things. They all have different flesh, right? So does the resurrected body. It, too, has a different kind of flesh. It's flesh. But it will be a flesh that doesn't die. No disease, no sickness. We get a new flesh, and he goes on. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is the glory of the sun, and the glory. Now he compares this new body in the terms of glory. There is the glory of the sun and the glory of the moon, the glory of the, the stars, and for star differs from star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Now he's talking about brilliance. He's talked about flesh. Now he says this new body we're going to get is going to shine with light. It is going to be brilliant, just as the sun is brighter than the moon. If you notice we got a full moon. Yeah, we got a moon out there. It's pretty bright, but it's not the sun. He says, just as there's a difference in their brilliance, the, the brilliance of this body and the brilliance of the one you'll get are very, very different. You will now shine with the light of God. Uh, something about, I don't understand why holiness and the goodness of God shines with light, but it does. It literally shines. And so when you see the angels of God, they're, they're just radiant. 
uh, when you see uh, how, how powerful, how real is this? Well, think of it. When Moses got a glimpse of Jesus with his, and he says, let me see your, what? Glory. And he says, you can't do that. I'll kill you. It'll fricassee you like a bug. And he says, so, so he hid him in a cave, put his hand over him, and let him see him passing away. Remember that? What did it do to Moses? It literally radiated his skin so that he glowed afterwards. Paul, when Jesus appeared to him in his glory, good old Paul isn't going to look away. He's staring right into that stuff. And, and it, it so damaged his eyes that it says they were covered with scales. That means they oozed and it dried. So it literally baked his eyes looking into the glory of Jesus Christ. Do you follow that? You're going to be like that. You're, I'm not making this up. You're going to shine with the light of God. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said it. I never forgot this. He said, we don't realize what God's going to do. And he said, he said, if we were to see the lowliest, humblest Christian, as they will be after the resurrection, he said, if we didn't know better, we would fall on our knees and worship. Isn't that a shocking statement? You, you will be, we will be glorious. We will come with him. And Paul says, there's, a two different, there's different brilliances here. There's the moon and there's the sun. And the, and the glory of the heavenly body of what God's going to give you is like the sun compared to the moon. And then he says, it is, it is sown a perishable body, one that dies and gets disease, and it is raised imperishable. And then in case anyone questioned that these human bodies of ours must be resurrected, Paul made this amazing statement. Now, I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. That means that the entire universe, the heavens and the earth, and all people, both evil and righteous, will be raised to an entirely different dimension. In, Reve in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, it says, there's that great throne of the Lord. He's, he's judging all. And it says, and heaven and earth fled away from before him, before his presence. And there was no place found for them. That means the entire universe disappears. It evaporates. It's gone. And then the next chapter, chapter 21, opens up and says, and Don says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The Lord will literally, not only do we get resurrected, and by the way, I mentioned it there, and you might have thought I missed something. No, no, the righteous and the unrighteous are resurrected. Jesus says, I mean, it's just said over and over again, uh, clearly. Um, so everybody comes up. And everybody is resurrected. The earth and the very universe will be resurrected. Why? I think I know. It's, it's there in that tw verse 11 of tw chapter 20. The Lord is going, in the end, is going to release his glory with, with unre without restraint. Right now it's restrained. Were he to allow his glory to fill the universe, it would just, it would just evaporate everything. And so it's restrained. But there comes the moment. When the, when the Lord, as he should, lets his glory just fill this universe. 
Have you ever had anyone say to you, you know, if, if you look at Genesis chapter 1, uh, the first thing he says, the first thing God creates is what? This is a test. Light. And then somebody will always come along and go, but there was no sun. <laughs> you know, look at, no sun. There didn't need to be one. The first thing that filled the universe was the light of God just fills it. And it will again. He always comes back to his plan. Everything will be raised to a new level of reality that will be able to bear the unrestrained glory of God without that change subjected to his intense glory. Everything physical will, be, will evaporate in a moment. Why will he resurrect everything? Because death was never part of God's original plan. And he always comes back to his original plan. That doesn't mean that those who refuse to repent and trust the grace of God will enjoy his presence in their resurrected state. They won't. But they will be resurrected, which is why the choice we make here on earth is so important. See, let me just say, you aren't going to cease when you die. If you, by the way, if you think suicide is a way out, you've got a terrible mistake coming. You don't die. The body falls off and you're still there. What a shock, huh? And if you know him here, you know him there. If you don't know him here, you don't know him there. It doesn't change on the other side. This is why I think this, this is what this whole period of time is about. Allowing us to love him and give our hearts to him. So that as you step across, you now step into that relationship with the one you love forever. Isn't that wonderful? But he doesn't enslave anyone. And those who don't love him don't have to be there. They will be awake. They will be resurrected, in fact. But they will be separated. And in their hearts, separated darkly. In fact, it's the most important decision we will ever make. Do you believe this? Standing on the outskirts of Bethany, Jesus said this to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he asked her this question, do you believe this? And she answered, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who will come and rule, seated on Mount Zion, Psalm 2. He who comes into the world, the, the new Moses, who will lead the people of God back to him and to the promised land. He asks us the very same question. Shall we give him the same answer? Why don't you read with me uh, Martha's answer? Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the son of God, even he who comes into the world. Would you stand with me? In, in this lesson today, the gospel is very clear. Do you believe this, he asks. 
Martha, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I, I believe in you. I believe you are the Savior. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you will be the one who shouts forth and the dead come to life, the dead bodies come to life. I believe you are that person and I will trust you and follow you. I, I, just, I would be wrong, I think, to close without giving an invitation, an opportunity. Have you ever said yes to that question? Do you believe? Have you ever? Today it's clear. I've said it in pretty strong terms. I mean, right from the scripture. Do you believe in Jesus? Is he your savior? Is he, is he the one who will call forth your name? And you will hear him. Do you believe that? Makes all the difference in the world that we say yes to him, that we embrace him and follow him. Would you bow your heads with me just one moment? Just want to ask, give an opportunity. If you raise your hand, I'm going to just spot it and I'm going to agree with you right where you are. And agree in prayer that you are, and then I'll lead us together in a prayer to just receive Jesus. So anyone want to raise their hand right now and just say, Pastor, I'm, I'm confessing that today. I need to confess that. Yes, praise God. I agree with you. I agree with you, and I agree with you and you. Blessed be the Lord. I can't. Oh, I, yes, I agree with you. Praise the Lord, and I agree with you. Blessed be God. I agree with you. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone I missed? Yes, I see your hand. This is not a game right now. The word's been preached. The spirit's here. This is just people from their heart going, I, I need to respond. I need to make that decision. I hear the information, but now I need to make a choice. And I'm choosing Jesus. I am choosing to place my faith in him this moment. And this is how a man or a woman is saved. This is, this is exactly what we do. We respond to him and then we pray and confess it and mean it from our heart. He hears that. He sees that. He knows the sincerity within us. And he saves us this moment. It's not a game. Yes, I see your hand. Praise God. And yours. Hallelujah. Blessed be God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. All right, church, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father what, an amazing salvation. what an amazing salvation. Your promises to us, your great love to us is beyond words. This day, we say yes to your son, Jesus. This day, I'm going to put it in the personal, I confess Jesus Christ. As my, Lord As my Lord and my Savior, and my Savior. The, resurrection the resurrection and the life, and the life. I, will I will hear his voice, call me forth. Call me forth. I, will I will live forever because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has paid for my sins on the cross. He has risen from the dead, broken the power of death, the power of death. given me eternal life. That I might live, I might live with, him with him forever. forever. I, receive that great gift. I receive that great gift. I believe in you, Jesus. In Jesus. Jesus, Christ, Jesus Christ, I realize I must bow to you. I I must bow to you. You're the Lord of heaven and earth. And this day, this day you're my Lord. You are my Lord. I, am I am not a rebel anymore. I am not independent I'm anymore. I choose to not live selfishly, 
anymore. I put my hand in yours, and I want to be your disciple. I become like you, follow you, serve you, and live for you because of who you are. Today, you're my Savior. You're my Lord. And you will lay hold of me and never let go of me. I won't let go of you. In Jesus' name, I pray this. I want, I want to add one thing. And so particularly if you just prayed with me, would you put your hand on your heart? The Lord promises to us that his Holy Spirit, in fact, he himself, the Spirit of Christ, comes and dwells inside us. But he doesn't force his way in. You must invite him in. It's given to you instantly. I mean, when you prayed, if you just prayed with me and meant that, you confessed him as your Savior, you've repented and served, surrendered to him as your Lord. And that's what you do. That's, that, that's salvation right there. And now as a righteous man or woman, before God, the, 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 the record book of your sins is, is gone. He gives you everything. He gives you Jesus. And so, but you and I need to receive that and just welcome him, as it were, because he wants to come and dwell literally within our bodies. I don't fully understand it, but I know it's there, and you'll know it's there too. He comes and dwells with us, joining himself to us. So if you've got your hand on your heart, would you pray this after me? Heavenly Father, you give this Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. I ask you, Jesus, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Come and dwell within me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, and dwell inside me and never leave me for all eternity. I welcome you. I need you. I depend on you with your power, with your goodness, with your guidance. I will become the person I'm called to be. I will be victorious. I will serve you. I will live a purposeful life, blessed and protected under your mighty hand. Without you, I will fail. I am weak in my own flesh. I don't know what to do in my own wisdom. I desperately need you, but you've promised yourself to me. So I open up now and I say, come, live here, take up residence, be Lord forever. I love you with all my heart. In Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.